Holy Spirit, would you please open scripture to us to help us to feel in our hearts your passion for us and your passion for your world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a while back, I read uh, something from a guy named Mike Bro about how life can become kind of routine, kind of the same old, same old. And he, he put it this way. He said, day after day, you wake up at the same old time, walk into the same old kitchen, eat the same old cereal, kiss the same old wife on the same old cheek, drive, drive to the same old job, listen to the same old boss, tell the same old jokes, laugh in the same old way, go home at the same old time, eat the same old dinner, fall asleep in the same old chair, watching the same old news, get in the same old bed, ask your wife the same old question, get the same old answer, roll over and go to sleep. Do you ever feel that life is like that? Just kind of one thing after the other. Sort of not very exciting, just kind of routine. Do you ever feel like your faith is like that? You pray, but maybe God doesn't seem very real. You come to church, but I don't know, maybe your mind wanders once in a while, just maybe, right? Same old, same old. In the passage we read today, God talks about how life can be so much more than routine, same old, same old. Instead, he offers through him a real relationship with him that can fill our lives with energy, passion, purpose, meaning, adventure, and joy. The absolute opposite of dull, boring, and routine. And the key is, what he says in these passages, is a vital living relationship with him where we feel his passion burning in our hearts. But that can be really tough. Because for a lot of us, myself included, sometimes we just find ourselves becoming more cultural Christians than passionately devoted followers of Jesus. You know, we sort of like church as kind of a beginning of the week pick-me-up and sort of like the fact that our kids are getting some Sunday school in them. That can't hurt, right? But our basic attitude toward God is, you know what, God, I'll go to church, I'll pray, but, you know, kind of let me live life my way. Except if every once in a while you give me some supernatural power to help me get what I want, that would be awesome. We're religious. We have religiosity, but no deep, passionate relationship with the living God. And as a result, God says, our lives kind of become the same old, same old, which incidentally is the title of this sermon, except I didn't think how that would look when it was printed in the bulletin where it says sermon, same old, same old. Yeah. Yeah, they gave me some grief on staff about that. Well, God wants so much more for us than that, and I'm hoping a little bit more than that for the sermon. God wants to give us lives of excitement and adventure and passion and joy. As you know, we're doing a lot of different sermon series this year chronologically through the Bible. And I'm going to just keep reviewing from now, now and again because I want you to know the story. We talked about Abraham and his descendants and how they became slaves in Egypt until Moses and Joshua led them out of slavery to the promised land, where they lived under local tribal leaders called judges until they got themselves some kings, starting with David and then Solomon. Then the nation divided in two, and kings kind of come and go in, in both nations, and almost all the kings are terrible, and they make a mess of things. Today we're starting a new sermon series called In a Perfect World, and it's about Israel's prophets. The sermon series we just finished was about how the kings made a mess of things. 
right? How they make a mess of their lives. But while the kings were making a mess of things, God sent people called prophets to tell them what life should look like. If we followed God's ways, how life would be. If we just followed God's ways, it would be a perfect world. And what you need to know about the prophets is the prophets were pretty passionate people. They were pretty intense. They were not very polite. For instance, at the beginning of his ministry, Isaiah wants to point out that the people of Jerusalem are no longer following God. But this is how he puts it. See how the faithful city has become a whore. Whoa! That's not church talk, Isaiah. And that's just what I can read in church. If I were to read Ezekiel 23, I might get fired. And what's great is you're all going to go home and look up Ezekiel 23. <laughs> See, I'm going to get you reading the Bible one way or the other. <laughs> the prophets were passionate people, and through them, we hear God's passion for us and for his world. And you hear it in the passage we read today. God says, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your Sabbaths and your convocations I hate with all my being. And the issue here is the Israelites were just going through the motions of faith, cultural Christians repeating a lot of man-made traditions without their hearts really being in it. And God says, I hate that. In fact, here's a true statement. God hates religion. God hates religion. Another word might be religiosity, which is different than real, passionate relationship with him. And the reason God hates it is because it robs us. It robs us of the joy and the meaning and the adventure of life. And it robs us of that in a couple of ways, religiosity. First, religiosity values ritual over relationship with God. Now, every church has its traditions, even the newest, hippest, you know. They, they, every church has the way they do things. And those things, that's good. Those traditions can be very, very good. And it is right that we have our, uh, that they bring meaning into our lives, right? Because they help connect us to God. That's what they were designed to do. But if we start to cling to those traditions or just kind of use them to go through the motions, or, or get really overly upset if something changes that robs us of vital relationship with the living God. Now, sometimes if a pastor says something like that, folks start to worry he's about to announce some change in how they do worship. No announcement. Everyone can relax. No big announcement of change. And you know what? When it comes to religiosity, we actually avoid it pretty well here. We do a lot better on this score than a lot of other places. But it's easy for all of us, including me, including me, to just start going through the motions of life and faith and become cultural Christians living our lives in a way that is no different from the rest of the world, except that we go to church on a Sunday morning just hoping the pastor doesn't talk too long so we can get out early and beat the Baptist to brunch, right? <laughs> I'm going to talk for 45 minutes. Even the Pentecostals are going to be there before you. <laughs> and God said, I'm not going to do that, I promise. And God says, you guys, you guys, you're not having nearly as much fun with me and in life as I want you to. If you would just bust out of this cultural Christian thing and actually let me fill your heart with passion for me and start living the way I say to live, your life's going to get a whole lot better. It would be a perfect world. The second way religiosity robs us of joy is it can wreck human relationships. God says to the Israelites, all of your worship services, quote, end in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Boy, I want to go to that church, don't you? <laughs> is this the kind of fast I've chosen? 
They were so caught up in their traditions, they started fighting with each other. I mean, what primitive backward people would do such a thing? <laughs> a young man I know was at his church on a Sunday morning, and he was there wearing jeans and, and a hat. He's in his early 30s. Someone came up to him and said in a very rude, hostile way, who told you it was okay to wear jeans and a hat in church? And this young man felt very unwelcome in that moment. Now, I know that there was a moment in our culture where it's inappropriate to wear jeans and a hat to church, but that moment is pretty much gone in our culture. And there's nothing in the Bible about having to dress a certain way to go to church. You know, not even that verse about bringing our best to God, which is about our money, not our clothes. And I love it that here in this church, in both our modern services and traditional, in both, some folks come dressed up, which is a great way to kind of capture the, the, and reflect the majesty of God. But I also love it that in all of our services, folks come more casual, which is a great way to reflect the God who takes us just as we are. Plus, the God who, when he came himself as Jesus, was born in a barn, and he probably wasn't wearing a tie. And I love that when I look out in all of our worship services, modern and traditional, I see both casual and dressed up, and I think the people of God. And together we reflect more the fullness of God's character. Because we're not fighting about stuff that doesn't matter, for the most part. We're valuing Jesus and each other more than man-made rituals. It is one of the things I love the most about you guys. It is just one of the things that is so great about y'all. And finally, the third reason God says he hate, hates religion is it tames him. You know, somewhere in the Victorian era, we started to think that being a Christian was about nice, polite people using nice, polite language, doing nice, polite things in nice, polite ways in nice, polite places. But Jesus is way more passionate and way more powerful than that. Jesus hung out with prostitutes and thieves just to show them God's love. It was Jesus who said to the religious folk of his day, you brood of vipers. Right? Because they, were, they were cared more about their traditions than people. Right? No church would hire Jesus. Right? I mean, calling the elders a brood of vipers is not something I recommend to other pastors. <laughs> I, I try this with your elders. They love it. I did this once. It was awesome. Right? Not that we should be rude. Of course not. Of course not. But let's not confuse biblical Christianity with cultural norms about how to dress or talk or anything else. They're not always the same. The prophets were not nice. They used words that I, can, I can't use in church. But they were loving. And love is a very strong emotion. We are not called to be nice. We are not called to be nice. We are called to be dangerous to Satan's plans. And when we're dangerous, life gets really fun. My wife helps with the skits here on Sunday morning for our Sunday school, which means she's here all morning. And there's a program here called Loving Hearts where kids can go after their Sunday school class for, for kids whose parents stay more than one hour. And, you know, so my kids are here all morning because we're both here, right? My son hates this. <laughs> At one point he was standing in the hall of our Sunday school saying, I hate double church. <laughs> Which is great marketing when the pastor's kid says that, right? But our Sunday school fixed the problem. They put a foosball table in the Loving Hearts room. And now my son says, I love double church. Can we go to double church? That's the sort of transformation God's talking about in this passage, only without the foosball table. We can go from same old, same old, dull, routine, boring life and faith to a life filled with passion and purpose and meaning and adventure and joy if we do two things that God says to do in this pa these passages. 
The first is to invest in real relationship with him. In this passage, after calling Jerusalem a whore, God then says these beautiful words, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. No other God, no other God in any other religion ever says those words. Those are relational words. Other gods might say, do this or I'll zap you. But no other God says, come, let us reason together. Those are relationship words, right? God wants real relationship with us, not cultural Christianity. A lot of ways to do this. Come to church. It, not as a ritual, but it's good to come to church if we come expecting to encounter the living God, right? And experience God. Focus on the words of the songs and the prayers. Say them directly to him. At home when you pray, do what I've recommended. You know, picture Jesus sitting next to you because he is and pray to him this way and just talk normal, right? None of this, oh, unmoved mover, thou art so whatever, right? Just normal, right? Listen to Christian music if it helps you connect. Explore, find a way that works for you to connect to him. And the point here is not to turn all these things into rituals that we just check off, check the box, right? That's religion again. But if our motivation is that we long to connect with God, he will honor that. Let me give you three prayers. Try one of these. I think these prayers can help fill your heart with passion. Jesus, invade my life and wreck my plans. Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. Jesus, make my heart long for you. Try praying one of those prayers for a month. Right? And to make sure that when you pray the prayer, you also pray, and Lord, help me to mean this prayer so you don't turn it into a ritual. I know a man who's a CEO of a large nonprofit organization and was having all kinds of problems with budget and criticism on the job, staff conflict. And one day, instead of praying in the same old way, he just got down on the floor, face down on the floor, and just said, Lord, I surrender. I can't do this. I just surrender. And just started talking. No fancy words. Just poured out his heart. And as he did that, he got this picture in his head, he knew he never would have made up, of Jesus laying down on the floor with him, looking in his eyes and kind of looking up in his face and saying, what are you doing down here? Get up. I'm going to help you. And that image was so funny to him, he started to laugh. And he kind of felt his load lighten. That's a real relationship. Will you set aside some time this week to invest in a real relationship with Jesus? Second way, out of religiosity, and you've heard me say this before, but it's so important. Find your way, whatever your way is, of participating with Jesus in his rescue mission to this planet. Right? It'll give you life. My wife loves to read disaster books, books about shipwrecks, plane crashes, cannibalism, right? I mean, <laughs> what can I say? She's mine, right? <laughs> and one of the things they've discovered, very interesting, that folks who get, have a goal outside themselves, help the elderly woman survive, make sure this kid always has food, those folks actually survive better than the folks who just try to protect themselves. You see, there's something about living for someone else that gives us more life. That's why God says in this passage, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. I mean, I love those lines. Doesn't that just sound vigorous and exciting and, you know, to loose the chains of injustice? It sort of makes me feel like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, right? Let's, I'm going to go loose me some chains of injustice, right? You know, you cannot take my freedom away, right? 
Now, I want to be really clear. God is not saying, do these things and I'll love you more. No, 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 right? That, that, that would contradict everything in Scripture. That's back to religion and religiosity. Guess I'll go loose me some chains of injustice today. Check that box, right? I hope that makes God happy, right? No, God loves us no matter what. But what God is saying is life gets big when you're part of what I'm doing in the world. Isaiah puts it this way. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a spring whose waters never fail. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of the streets with dwelling, of dwellings. I just think that's a beautiful... Your light will break forth like the dawn. And I have found this to be true in my life. Participating in God's rescue mission, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. It's often frustrating, discouraging. Times you're not going to want to do it. You'd rather plop on the couch and watch ESPN. But without exception, all of my peak experiences in life, all of my moments of deep connectedness to Jesus and to others, all of my moments of satisfaction and deepest joy have all come when I was participating with Jesus in his rescue operation to this world. And no promotion, no accolade, no amount of money, not the best vac vacation I've ever had, not the most adrenaline-filled rock-climbing trip I ever took can compare to the adventure of being part of what Jesus is doing in the world. Find your niche. It'll give you life. When I was writing this sermon, I was searching around for a story to illustrate this point. And just then, I got an email with a story, which was a miracle. And it was from a woman who sponsored a kid. She and her husband sponsored a kid at the Center for Champions in Rwanda, which, as you know, we as a church built to educate street kids, get them off the streets into a life of hope. And she got to see the child she sponsored on the last trip to Rwanda. And this is what she wrote to me in her email. She said, I wanted to share an amazing moment for me when it was my turn to meet my sponsored student. Alexis had been turned out on the streets when he was four after his parents were injured so badly in the genocide that neither of them could work. His family sold his brothers and sisters into slavery, but Alexis ran away to the streets rather than be sold. He came to know of the Center for Champions through one of the street kid ministries and prayed that he would be chosen to go, which he was. But having to start his education at 20, he struggled to make the necessary adjustments. At one point, he'd packed a knapsack of personal items and made plans to leave the church. But that evening, he received one of my letters that I'd written to him with pictures I included of his, quote, family, that is, my husband and me. I told him in that letter that we were praying for his success. Well, that night in Rwanda, as he talked through a translator to me about the letter and, that I'd sent him and all that it meant to him, he handed the letter back to me. Tears welled in my eyes as I heard him promise to study English so that when I returned next year, he could speak to me himself because he had so much he wanted to say to me. The next four days were spent attending classes with Alexis and watching his beautiful face as he worked very hard to show his determination to be a champion. As we walked together to the bus on the last day, he hugged me and leaned over and then whispered, Mommy. And then stood to the side of the road as the bus pulled away, both hands lifted high, smiling from ear to ear. This makes my life feel brighter and bigger and just plain more. I hear God clearly and feel the warmth of his breath when he speaks to me. His call to me to Rwanda to teach me, mold me, and shape me makes me hunger for more of him. Thank you, Jesus. Let the ripples continue. I feel life and alive. Hallelujah. Amen. Too bad she's so bored, huh? Right? There's a woman whose life is getting bigger because she is closely connected to Jesus at a heart level. And because she is part of his rescue of this young man 
from the streets in Rwanda to a life of hope and promise. Not as a ritual or an obligation, not as something she thinks she has to do to get God to love her more, but because the love of Jesus has so filled her heart with his own love for her and his love for this young man, and her life will never be the same. It will never be the same. It will never, ever be the same again. And neither will yours. If this week you will spend some time trying to connect to Jesus in a real way, and if you will find your place in his rescue operation, just try some stuff until you find something that fits. You could sponsor a child at the Center for Champions out there in the lobby today. You could go have lunch with a coworker, that coworker you know that is, hung, uh, is needy and hurting. You could go have lunch with that person. You could teach Sunday school. You could coach Little League, but not as an extension of your ego, but to help shape the next generation of boys and girls into honorable manhood and honorable womanhood. The list is endless. Just try something. Just start in your office by talking to people in a way that gives them life. Because when you do that, your life is going to be like that moment in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy steps out of the cabin and into Oz and it goes from black and white into color. Religiosity, cultural Christianity, that's Kansas. Right? That's black and white. Real relationship with Jesus, technicolor. My grandmother used to have a jar of special cookies. They were actually petrified cookies. No lie. My great-great-grandmother had made them back in the 1890s, and then my great-grandmother had added to them. And then, you know, they're shaped like shoes and hearts. One is shaped like a cash register, frosted different colors. They're beautiful, but hard as stone. Well, growing up, the whole time I was growing up, if my siblings or I so much as looked at the jar of cookies, my grandma, my aunt, and my mom would all say in unison, don't touch those cookies. Right? Even when I was an adult, don't touch those cookies. Right? But the first time my wife met my grandmother, Christina noticed the cookies, and my grandmother cheerfully handed her the jar, opened the lid, and let Christina handle the cookies. I've never so much as touched those things. <laughs> but Christina, a foreigner to the family, right, <laughs> gets to manhandle them. When I told my brother and sister about it, they said, she got to touch grandma's cookies? And I said, yes, boldly, right? And to this day, I still haven't touched those cookies. <laughs> but now they belong to my mother, and I've told her I want them after she dies, and I'm going to touch them all I want. <laughs> now, here's the thing. That is the most fun those cookies had in 100 years. <laughs> and I'm sure that when they got back into the jar, they said to each other, that was fun. We ought to get out more. <laughs> and that was the most fun my grandmother ever had with those cookies. How does this story relate to this sermon, you might ask? Here's how. Our relationship with Jesus is not meant to be cooped up inside cultural Christianity, looking beautiful but hard as stone, where we just go through the motions but live life just like the rest of the world. In Isaiah's words, it's meant to break forth like the dawn, out of the middle of the road, lukewarm, let's not get too emotional about this Jesus thing, out there into the world as inch by inch, block by block, town by town, we partner with Jesus to bring up there, down here, to make his kingdom come and his will get done to the point where we no longer say in a perfect world, dot, 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 but where we say in this world, in his world, the world he always wanted it to be. And when you are part of that adventure, life is no longer same old, same old, but every day and every way is always brand new, brand new, brand new in Jesus. So, Lord, fill us 
with passion. Jesus, fill us with your passionate love for us. Help us to know how much you love us. And Jesus, fill us with your passion for the world and for your people. And may we live in joy and in light of it and point to you as its author and source. We pray this in your name. Amen.